probably never heard of Steve Randall, unless you've heard me share the story or you're a huge fan of Sports Illustrated. I love how Steve Russian described him in an article. He wrote, Steve Randall is a small man making small money in small towns. A five foot six high school basketball coach who climbed a short professional ladder from Turtle Lake to Montfort to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He drives a banana yellow Capri Classic that costs $200 used, a car so mortifying that his three daughters put a for sale sign in the window whenever it's parked in the driveway. In October 2004, 53-year-old Steve was heading into his 16th coaching season at Oshkosh West High. During a routine angioplasty, doctors nicked one of his arteries. And a week later, while watching a baseball game on TV, Steve told his wife, Cindy, that he didn't feel well. And he laid down on the couch and he died. Meanwhile, Lance, his oldest son, was a big man on his way to big dreams. 33 years old, he was already a successful college basketball coach on his way to his dream of being a Division I head coach. He drove home for his dad's memorial service and was just blown away. He was blown away by a line extending for three blocks outside a funeral home that stayed open three extra hours to accommodate all the people who wanted to say goodbye to Coach Dad. He's blown away by hundreds and hundreds of tribute letters sent to the Oshkosh paper, letters from people all over the world, blown away at the funeral as players stood up to speak of the impact that Coach Randall had on their lives. If you lived in Oshkosh, you probably would have heard comments like, he cared so much about everyone. It didn't matter who they were. You, when you talked to him, you were always the most important person in the room. He was more than a coach. He touched so many kids' lives. You can't put money on that. But before we get into the scripture for this episode, let, let me just make sure we're all on the same page. We all make choices. Choices about priorities, how we'll treat people, what passions will drive our days. We, we all make choices. And our choices are shaped by what we value. Steve valued people in every chance he got. He loved and he served others. Steve's son, Lance, said, when 3,000 people show up at a high school phys ed teacher's wake, you suddenly see the effect a simple man has had on so many people. Listening to the tribute paid to his father, he had an epiphany. I had to do this, he said. So he left his Division I fast track, walked away from a big-time salary for a $4,000 coaching stipend to walk in the steps of his father as a coach at Oshkosh West High. He made a choice, walked away from a dream, walked away from money and stuff. So before we go any further, let me just ask you, what values are shaping your choices? What one thing do you treasure above all else? I mean, really treasure one thing, one thing that would be really hard to give up. Maybe it's not stuff. Maybe it's something else, a relationship, a job, a degree, an addiction or dream. Now, let me ask you, do you realize how much that one thing shapes your choices, decisions, and life? Hang on to that thought. And let me say welcome. Welcome to episode number 94 of More Than Bread. I started this podcast in February of 2021 out of a simple desire to see more people engaged in and with Scripture. Barna did a recent in-depth study of people who are engaged with Scripture. While I was discouraging to find that 
10% less people regularly engage with Scripture in the last two years than, than we're doing so pre-COVID. The benefits of engagement with Scripture are significant. I mean, people who engage with Scripture regularly are more generous. They more frequently report significant transformational change in their lives. They're more aware of the presence of God. And, and relationally, they're more likely to help people, more likely to help refugees, more likely to be passionate about racial unity. Diving into Scripture, that's one of the things that we can choose. One of the things that will shape our lives positively. So let's dive into Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal or testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He had a lot of stuff. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God if you're a rich person. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And let me just stop for a moment and pause. You realize that more than likely, if you're listening to this and you live in America, you're richer than, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 percent of the world. You are the rich for whom I am the rich for whom it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. You realize if you're a rich person and you're part of the kingdom of God, you are a walking miracle. Those are my words. Verse 28, then Peter began to speak up. Hey, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are now the greatest will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So imagine this guy. He's rich, latest brands, biggest house, current gadgets, doesn't buy anything on sale. He's young. I mean, not hardly fair. People might have whispered behind his back to be so rich and so young. He's a leader, honor student, two successful startups under his belt, comfortable with leadership. He knows how to get things done. In fact, some people call him a ruler. And for as long as we've had a Bible, that's what we've called him, the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. All we know is this moment that he had with Jesus. 
The Bible says that when he came, he came running to Jesus and he went to his knees. Not typical behavior for a rich young ruler. He goes to his knees in the dust of the road. He says, teacher, I'm lacking life. What what do I do? Tell me what to do. Jesus starts by asking, tell me how you live. And the guy basically says, Jesus, I'm a pretty good guy. And, And Jesus doesn't disagree. I mean, does that surprise you? Jesus doesn't nitpick and, and say, let me, let me tell you all your sins. In fact, we find out that Jesus' heart is for this guy. Mark writes, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus didn't say that to guy. It's it, to the guy. It's Mark's side note. But later, Jesus must have had a talk with his, his friends about this conversation with a rich young ruler and, and his heart was for this guy. Remember that because in a moment, Jesus is going to ask him to do something hard. <laughs> So hard to be honest, I kind of feel bad for the guy. Thinking you're asking him to surrender a lot to be on your team, Jesus. Jesus gives him a hard choice. But before Jesus ever asked for anything from this guy, he looked at him and he loved him. His heart was for him. He's in his corner cheering him on. This is really important. Before Jesus asks for more from us, he gives more to us. He gives us his heart. But you got to understand, listen, you got to understand, Jesus is looking for friends, not fans. He's building a team, not a stadium. He's not collecting fans. He's seeking followers. Are you a fan of Jesus? Are you a follower? But this is so cool. His followers are also his friends. His heart is for you. He's looking for followers who are friends, not fans who sit in the stadium, fans who friends who follow apprentices of kingdom life. We follow not because we're forced. We follow because we're loved and we love in return. We follow the one who not only died so that we could come alive. He also shows us how to live. So what if I actually lived and loved like Jesus? What if you actually lived and loved like Jesus? What if we not only loved our neighbors, but also our enemies? What if I prayed like God was my father? What if we were willing to surrender everything so that just one more person might come alive to the reality of who Jesus is? What if I was a follower of Christ's ways and not just a fan at Christmas and Easter? What would that do to our world? Walk down your local neighborhood block or drive a country mile and the statistics of the sexual abuse of children tell you that every one in four women, every one in six men that you pass on average has been sexually abused. That's tens of thousands in central PA, hundreds and hundreds wherever you live. You, you probably know a family going through a divorce, a student struggling with anxiety or depression, a lost job or, or, or lost a friend. What if we prayed like prayer was necessary, that without prayer, heaven on earth is nothing more than a wish dream rather than the story that God is writing for every life? What if I was a follower and not just a fan? Why does this even matter? It matters because we need to understand what Jesus is offering this rich young ruler. Jesus is not a taker. He's a giver. When Jesus asks us to do something or give something or love someone, he's not asking because he can't do it without us. He's asking because he knows, listen to me, he knows that if we follow him, we'll find life. The question is, do I trust him? So often we think of surrender as failure, as defeat, hands up, you lose. But when it comes to Jesus, full surrender is the first step to great gain. The question is, do we trust Christ enough to give up we know for what he offers? So Jesus looks at this guy searching for life. 
He loves them, and he says, you lack only one thing, (laughs) just one, one thing. You're so close. That's what it says in verses 21 and 22. You lack only one thing, he told him. Go and sell all that you have and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sadly because he had a lot of stuff. So what is this potential Jesus apprentice lack? Was he lacking information? He needed teaching? Some of us believe this this is the very heart of being a disciple. All we need is, is more information, get a new truth, gain some more knowledge. Was he lacking character? Good teacher, he said, teach me how to be good. And, and character is important, but character is all about the texture of our hearts. It's not just what I do. There are very moral people in our world who are not apprenticed to Jesus. Maybe he was lacking resources. Because you know what? No matter how much we have, how rich we are, we often think we need more, right? Can I tell you what I I believe? I I believe that 100% of the people who end up coming to Jesus come because we realize we lack something. We have a need that we can't meet. There's something we lack. What need brought you to Jesus? See, these needs draw us to Jesus, and he came to meet our greatest needs, the deepest desires of our hearts. The lost need to be found, the broken need wholeness, the thirsty need to drink, the lonely need friends, and in the kingdom of God, the lost get found. The broken are healed, the thirsty are satisfied, and the lonely are loved. But here's my concern. Too often, we settle for the meeting of needs. We turn Jesus into super Amazon Prime. But Jesus is not just the need meter. He's the kingdom bringer, the soul saver, the way maker, He is surrender-worthy, and we leave so much on the table when we hold back. So what one thing did Jesus think this well-resourced young leader lacked? I mean, imagine Jesus right now sitting beside you saying, Dan, Joe, Karen, your your life lacks one thing, only one thing, not a hundred things, not even two things, just one thing. And you look over and you quietly whisper back, Jesus, tell me, I got to know, what one thing do I lack? And Jesus responds, sell everything you have and give it all away and follow me. Do you understand what's happening here? What one thing did he lack? He was full, full of stuff, full of his agenda. What he lacked was space. We can't follow Jesus if we're full of everything but Jesus. Do you have space for Jesus in your life? Some of us are thinking, sure, Dan, I I got space right in between family and work, right after binge watching Netflix and before Instagram. In fact, I've got 30 minutes every morning and one evening evening a week blocked out. Jesus has room. He's important to me. You know, I'm, I'm guessing that rich young leader could have carved out 30 minutes a day for Jesus. But apparently Jesus was looking for more. So how do we clear out space in our life for Jesus? I, I would start with time. Leonard Ravenhill once said, tell me how much time you spend alone with God and I'll tell you how spiritual you are, not how many meetings you go to, not how many gifts you have or how you've served. Tell me what time you spend alone with God and I'll tell you how spiritual you are. Listen to me. You can't say that God's got your heart if he doesn't get your time. Perhaps today if we came running to Jesus, he might say, listen to me, get rid of all your social media devices and accounts and come follow me. What would you say to that request? 
or give up your job or your dream or your future plans, be interruptible. See, Jesus wasn't just asking this man to sell his stuff. He was asking him to walk away from a way of life and follow him. But this guy chose what he had in his hands over what Jesus offered for his life. And he walked away sad. So let's not try to domesticate this story. Let's not do that. (laughs) Let's embrace this moment, this conversation, as though Jesus is actually having it with us. Because I think he is. You're that guy. You're that woman. I'm that guy pursuing Jesus, but not really ready to surrender. Do we have the ears to hear Jesus say, Dan, I want more. I'm looking for followers who will dive all in. People who don't worry about carving out space. They just give it all to me. Do you do you hear his whisper? I'm looking for people who keep coming back, not just because they have nowhere else to go, but because there's nowhere else they would rather go. This guy walked away sad, and it, it wrecks me. I mean, imagine for a moment everything that he missed. He he never asked Lazarus what it was like to be resurrected from the dead. He never served with Martha or worshipped with Mary. He wasn't there when the women ran to tell the team about an empty tomb. He never met the risen Jesus when the Spirit of God came into the upper room, when Saul's life was turned so upside down that he became Paul. This guy was nowhere to be found. He wasn't part of a movement that would last thousands of years and change billions of lives. Why? Because he couldn't make space. How much space do you have for Jesus? Ponder that question as I read the story one more time from the message paraphrase. Mark 10, verses 17 through 31, it says, As he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, cheat, honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, from my youth, I've kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and he loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing, but Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich person to get into God's kingdom. That caught their attention. Then who has any chance at all, they asked. Jesus was blunt. No chance at all. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world, if you let God do it. Peter tried another angle. We left everything and followed you. Jesus said, mark my words, no one who sacrifices house, brother, sisters, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me and the message will lose out. They'll get it all back, but multiplied many times in homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, but also in troubles. And then the bonus of eternal life. This is once again the great reversal. Many who are first will end up last, and the last first. Father God, I pray for each and every person listening right now. God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would um, gently but solidly (laughs) convict us, show us where we haven't surrendered, where 
where we don't have space for you, where we haven't been willing to open up time, where we're saying on the one hand that you are the God of the universe who created the word world with a word, who died on a cross for us, and, and yet we give you 1% of our time. How absurd that is, God. Would you show us? Would you, would you reveal it to us how much life there is found in your presence? And I pray for each of us, God, that, that ultimately, I, I pray it happens today, but ultimately, whenever it happens, that we will become wholehearted, fully surrendered followers of Christ. God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.